Praise God. Okay, so today we're going to talk about an important element of the health equation, food. This food thing is universal, right? I get many questions about food. It's something I love to talk about. It's my passion. It's what drives me. What to eat, what not to eat. Some people say, ah, waiting concern me. Is it not when you even see the food to eat that you even start talking about eating right? Some people just think food is food, but food is really not just food. Why do we need to eat right? In order for me to answer that question about the big why, I'll start with a story. So there's this guy. He had this um, Toyota Corolla. It was a regular petrol engine. And during one of those fuel scarcity times, he went to Owando and said to himself, you know what? As fuel kuku no day, make I buy diesel. So he drives up to the diesel stand, gets about 5,000 worth of diesel, puts in his car, and heads off. Who can guess what happened to that car, you know, a few kilometers down the road? Because you see, petrol engines cannot combust diesel fuel. So what starts to happen is that your fuel plugs begin to get faulty. Eventually, the engine begins to break down. Long and short, your engine will knock. So you see, when you look at food as fuel, you'll understand that you cannot just fuel your body with just anything. Our bodies are designed specifically to eat certain things that help you thrive. So food is not just food. The food that you eat will, it will be the determinant between a long life and a long life that has high quality. You know that there's a difference between living long and living well. So the food issue is universal. It's for the rich, it's for the poor, for the young, for the old. The sooner you start to know how to eat right, the better your life will be, and the better the chances you have to fulfill your purpose on earth. Okay, so the long and short, the definition of eating right is eating the right foods in the right quantities at the right time to sustain bodily functions for longevity and quality of life. And I'm going to share with you four basic principles. And I know that a lot of us have read a lot. We've Googled a lot of things. So there really are more than four principles. But the principles I'm sharing here today are basic beginner stuff that you can take home, start exactly where you are, and do something about your eating habits. The first principle, and I like to call them my golden rules of eating right. So golden rule slash principle number one, mindset. Before you begin to even think eating right. Some people think ah, eating right is about eating maybe salads or exotic foods, you know, that you can't even pronounce. People think eating right is too expensive. You'll be amazed the kinds of things I hear about eating right. Ah, I beg, I don't have time to do all that healthy eating stuff. Oh, it's too expensive. I can't afford it. The worst one is, Shay, something will kill a man. Something will kill somebody. So why are we disturbing ourselves? But you see, with the time and expense scenario, when you start to have disease, when your body begins to break down, you are going to spend money. Somebody is going to pay those bills, right? And that money is going to come from somewhere. With time situation, when you do begin to break down as a result of repeated abuse of your body, you're going to have to take some time off to treat yourself. So time and expense should not necessarily be an excuse for not eating the right things. And with the last mindset about something killing a man, hey, listen, you were sent to earth for a purpose, so you need to fulfill your mandate at some point. And except, you know, you, you're living a purposeless 
if that is English, life, you really should take your longevity seriously. Principle number two, eating natural foods. Now, I start with eating natural foods because this is such a huge debate right now. Eating natural foods is simply what I call, you know, some people say, oh, you know, cut out processed foods from your diet. Foods that are not natural, they are also called processed foods. It sounds a bit fancy now, but what I like to call it is fake food. So in my mind, food is either real or fake, all right? When food is real, food is natural, and that means that that food either had a mother, a father, or came from a tree. So if it doesn't have a mother, a father, or came from a tree, it's fake food. Claire, make sense? If you can't trace the ancestry, like I like to say, of that food, right, like one generation, this is where the food came from, to my plate, then that food is fake food. Let's take a small exercise, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to reel out a list of foods, and you're going to tell me if these foods are real foods or fake foods. Ready? Yam, real food or fake food? Okay. Potatoes, real food or fake food? Okay. Meat pie, real food or fake food? Okay. Indomie noodles, real food or fake food? Okay. Oranges, real food or fake food? Fanta orange, real food or fake food? Rice, real or fake? Depends. Okay. Parboiled rice is fake. Plastic rice, aha. Yes, you have a point. So it depends on how many processes it had been through before it got to your plate. Okay. Rice Krispies, real food or fake food? So, you know, this morning I was going over my presentation with my little boy, and this was about, um, I think it was three in the morning, and he woke up like, mommy, mommy, what's going on? So, I'm going over the thing. I said, okay, Baba, tell me, real food or fake food? So, I got to Rice Krispies, and he says, real food? I said, no, Rice Krispies is fake food. And that one goes, well, mommy, you give us Rice Krispies to eat now. (laughs) I said, no, when next mommy gives you Rice Krispies, tell her, no, mommy, it's fake food. Mommy, what have indomie noodles? It's fake food. Hmm. So you see, guys, I know that a lot of us, you know, we're busy, we're feeding our kids junk, but we can always start from somewhere. All right. The problem with fake foods is that all these fake processed foods, they are laden with a lot of sugar. There's excess sugar in them. There's excess salt and excess oil, hydrogenated fats. That's a big word, I know. But the problem with fake foods is that when they come to your plate and you ingest them, they're laden with all these toxins that begin to affect you in a very negative way. Some of us feel it immediately. Like, you know, there are some things you eat that you just know that, "Ah, this thing I ate, there's something going on. You're not sick, you're not rolling on the floor, but you're bloated, you're lethargic. Suddenly you can't even think straight, you're no longer productive. Fake foods or processed foods, let me use a term that we all know, Processed foods are laden with so much toxins that cause things like hormonal imbalance. So you see a situation where boys begin to grow boobs and girls begin to grow facial hair. All those hormonal issues come from ingesting the toxins from processed foods. We have toxins in processed foods that sort of store in our joints. You begin to have inflammation. 
right? You begin to have arthritis. All those things are accumulated toxins from the foods that we eat. So it's important that when we eat food, we keep it as close to its natural source as possible. Healthy eating or eating right principle number three is eating the right quantities. Like I said earlier, definition of eating right is eating the right food in the right quantities at the right time, okay? So right quantity is also known as portion control because a lot of us have gotten to a point where we don't even know what our bodies are capable of eating or not anymore until we go on a fast. And then you now go like, whoa, my stomach has really shrunk. When you try to eat at the end of the fast, you realize you can't eat as much as you used to. But on a good day, some of us can finish two dinner plates of whatever it is they give us. Portion control is really important, and it's a fundamental principle of eating right. So like a car, when you get to the gas station and you're filling it up, once it's full, I mean, no one needs to tell you to turn it off. But when you leave it on and it continues to pump fuel into the vehicle, what happens? It starts to spill all over the floor, everywhere. So it's the same thing with our bodies. Everything in excess gets stored as fat. And so portion control is important because we don't want to have excess fat accumulating in our systems. That leads to heart disease, cholesterol issues. Portion control is important also because we don't want a distended stomach or abdomen. So you have this pouch, and then someone says, ah, but I don't eat anything. If you see what I eat, eh, I don't eat anything. Just small, like the small meat pie, small puff puff, small buns, small, small, small chops. But yet, you know, portion control is important because when you have a distended stomach, you see that even when you try to eat, eat small, you still have this pouch because your, your stomach is distended. And as I said earlier, you notice it after a fast, your stomach begins to shrink a little bit, okay? The last principle I'm going to talk about is water. Water is critical. Our bodies are made up of 70% water. Water is crucial for all our bodily functions. Drink as much water as you can. Water helps to transport the nutrients throughout your body. Water helps us to flush out the same toxins that we ingest day to day. And we all know, of course, that the toxins we ingest um, don't only come from food. They come from our environment, from the air that we breathe and our cosmetics and stuff like that. So, but that's topic for another day. So water does help. Water helps to sustain your entire body organs, your liver, your kidneys. So it's important that you drink water. A really dangerous habit is to be in a state of dehydration constantly. When you're in a state of dehydration, your liver stops functioning optimally. So you want your liver to do its job. And for your liver to do its job, you need to drink a lot of water. And also keep toxins, of course, out of your system. But water is very, very important. So on that note, I'm going to summarize. That eating right is about fueling your body properly. Fuel is not just fuel. There's a difference between PMS and diesel, okay? Following basic principles and not necessarily going on extreme diets. Some people think that eating right is about doing ketogenic or doing low-carb or doing fruitarian or doing whatnot, but eating right is just following basic principles. Eating naturally, maintaining the right mindset, drinking lots of water, eating natural foods like fruits and vegetables, exercising portion control. Where do you begin when we talk about eating right? You can start right where you are. 
if any of this stuff seems daunting, what you want to do is to just take a look at your life as it, as it were. You're not going to be going back home and setting fire to your kitchen. Uh, Mrs. Hansen said, no. What you want to do is start from where you are. If you're having issues with drinking water, just try to up your water intake, all right? If you're having issues with sugar or soda, for instance, <laughs> I'll give you an example. Back in the day, I used to do three bottles of Coke or three cans of Coke every day, like every day. I was a shareholder, a Coca-Cola shareholder. Every single day, I had to have a Coke with every meal. So I had an aunt who then said to me, uh-uh, yucky, but why don't you just limit this, your Coke, to one a day? Why would you drink more than one Coke a day? So I'm looking at her like, why would you even endorse one Coke a day? What's the point? If I'm going to drink one Coke a day, I might as well drink the entire can. So as in, you know, good for a penny, good for, you know, good for a pound. So, but the thing is, when I look back now, I did get to one Coke a day. And when I got to one Coke a day, I was very proud of myself, I must tell you. Because that signified progress. And now at this point, I've gotten to a place where there is no Coke in my house. I only drink it in people's houses. My COF members can testify that the Coke at COF is for me. <laughs> and sometimes I call in advance to say, please, there's Coke in your house. I'm coming. <laughs> for me, that is progress. You have to start from somewhere. And so I went from being 30, 35 kgs overweight and lost it over a period of two years, just doing slow things like that, slowly and consistently, as opposed to trying to do one extreme thing and coming back, another extreme thing and coming back that wasn't sustainable. So I still drink my Coke. Like my son will say, mommy eats only salad and drinks only coffee. Oh, and she drinks Coke. So I still do my Coke. And then we have our confectionery slaves. Once you see cake, you must answer once cake sees you, it must call you. And cake knows your name. I know where you are. I've been there before. But you need to start from somewhere. So if you're doing three cakes a day, I know that's extreme, but just start to reduce your quantities over time and get to a point where you're, you're blowing out on your cake maybe once a week, if possible. Another thing we do in nutrition is adding fruits and vegetables to your rich foods, to your naughty stuff. We call it crowding out. So what you can do is to add your fruits and veggies to your cake. So don't necessarily chuck out or eliminate stuff. Don't necessarily take out anything from your diet. Just include more of the good stuff. And after some time, you find that you begin to crowd out the bad stuff, so to speak. At the food fair next week, we're going to be showing you how to make what we call spinach eba. So for those diehard swallow people, and not to say swallow is bad, it's actually, you know, quite a real food compared to others. But for the diehard swallowers, we're going to show you how to include raw vegetables, include your five a day in your eba or your pounded yam. So we're going to be showing you how to make spinach eba and some other really, really interesting things that you can incorporate if you're looking for like inspiration or ideas. So that food fair is going to take place at 30 Festival Road at Lotus Fitness and it starts at 10 a.m. If you want to register for that food fair, I think there's a sheet of paper at the back. You put your name down and what slot you would like to come for. We're going to be demonstrating how to make some healthy breakfasts, some healthy lunches, healthy swallows, and healthy snacks. So that would be a good one. So you need to watch out for it and make sure you come. That's it. And if you have any questions and answers, now is the time. All right. So that's it for my presentation. Thank you very much for listening. Hello.
Morning, Oyo. Thank Good you. Morning. Personally, you're preaching to the choir. I'm fully on board with, with this stuff. But I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, red meat. You know, it's something that is, is so core to our diets here. And when you speak to people about health and wellness and red meat, it's almost like, I mean, that is the sacred cow, so to speak. So I just wanted you to speak a bit about red meat consumption. It's like a sign of wealth now to have 10 meats on your plate when you're eating. Okay, so red meat is a big topic. To eat or not to eat red meat. The truth of the matter with red meat is that not everybody can eat red meat. Red meat is not, and I'm going to say something that a lot of people are going to disagree with, but red meat is not necessarily bad. Red meat is actually good for some people. Now, we're going to be talking maybe advanced strategies because depending on your body type and what foods, you know, when we talk about general eating principles, there are some general ones, and then we go a bit more specific, you see. That is why some people will thrive on vegetarian diets, and some people will thrive on protein diets. Some people are very sensitive to carbohydrates, and some people can't do without them. So when we start to go more specifically, you have to know what, what your body prefers. Red meat is a great source of iron. However, as with everything else, you can overdo it. Even with good foods, you don't overeat good foods. You need to exercise portion control, okay? So if you know that your body doesn't do very well with red meat, you better cut it out because it will give you cholesterol issues. But if you know that you thrive well with red meat, keep it in your diet, but please eat it in moderation. And don't heap your plates with meat and all of that because it will give you cholesterol issues. I mean, the first question is that you didn't tell us your background. Um, so you know what? You didn't tell us your background before you start speaking. Uh, and because okay. it's good for us to have a knowledge of where you're coming from as a nutritionist. And the second question is that you just answered the question on red meat. Is it fake or yeah. real? Because it has to be, it has to be either, yeah. either fake or real. So that people have a clear understanding of what you are taking away from here. I'm coming from the Western world where... Red meat is no, 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 no for everybody. And that's the second question. And the, second, the third question is not a question, actually. It's just a, maybe next, uh, whenever you're doing a next uh, presentation like this, maybe you can have a graphic, like uh, show the amount of oil, like palm oil that we're putting in our body. Maybe people will see physically that, look, this is really bad for me. Thank you. All right, thank you. So the first question was about my background. I'm a certified fat loss specialist with the European Institute of Fitness. I have a certified fitness instructor qualification with IWSA, and I'm a certified nutritionist with Precision Nutrition. I'm also a managing partner at Lotus Fitness and Health, so I run a gym in Victoria Island, and I am a nutrition coach. The second question is about red meat. Red meat is real food. It is not fake food. Okay? It's real because it came from a cow. You can trace red meat. Or, you, or it came from a goat. Or it came from, it has a mother, Sha. So, it's real food. Okay? It's not fake food. Now, depending on what you do with the red meat, if you have um, beef-flavored indomie, then that's fake food, obviously. Or beef-flavored Pringles, that's fake food. The third one was about oil, about graphics. Okay, I didn't particularly want to do graphics today, but maybe next time. 
So oil, oil is a big one. Don't deep fry your food, no matter the oil, even if it's coconut oil. Don't deep fry your food. Oil has the most calories per gram, so we need to lower our intake of oil. The worst kind of oils that you can use, actually, are the oils that we call hydrogenated fats, store-bought oils. So things like mamador, bad for you, on a range of good to bad. Palm oil is a lot better than processed granola oil. So organic palm oil is healthier for you. Organic palm oil is better for you than canola oil. Who knows canola oil? So you hear about how canola oil is so light and nice and gives you a nice fresh taste in your mouth. Canola oil is fake food. There's nothing like, there's nothing like canola seed. Canola oil didn't come from an actual canola plant, right? So when you start to trace canola oil, it came from something called the reap seed, I think it's called. And they start to process it and process it and process it. And then they blow in some um, hydrogen molecules and different, all kinds of chemicals that begin to break the, the natural chain of fatty acids. So by the time it gets to your table, it's no longer a real fat. When you ingest it, your body is a bit confused, but then absorbs it as a real fat. But what happens is it goes in there, mimics the real fat, and starts to wreak havoc to your cellular health. Okay? It then starts to solidify and cake your cell membrane so that when you need energy, your fat-soluble lipids are going to have a hard time releasing energy from inside your cell membrane. So that's what things like canola oil, mamador, king's vegetable oil, any of those groundnut oils that you buy in the store is fake food. Fake, fake, fake with a capital F. Palm oil is a lot better for you, actually, especially if you're, you, you bought it from the village. Olive oil is good, but again, if it's the kind of olive oil that can spend three years on your shelf, then the likelihood is that it's fake because it's gone through a hydrogenated process and some chemicals have been added to it to make it um, harmful to your body. So you have, you have to be careful with the kind of olive oil that you buy. Extra virgin from certain sources are better than what we call anointing oil. We use anointing oil to cook and say, I cover my food with the blood of Jesus. It's, it's fake food. Okay, thank you very much. I thought uh, your presentation was excellent. Thank you for, for educating me in particular. I do have a question, and it's around uh, something that you mentioned, but you didn't elaborate very much on it. What is your view on, on coffee intake? Coffee is amazing. Coffee comes from the coffee bean, roasted and blended, kind of like a goosey. Okay? That's how I like to think of it. Um, actually, coffee is very good. Depending on how your body is built, some people don't have the DNA to metabolize coffee properly. So when they drink coffee, they start to have the jitters and they're nervous. So they think that, ah, this thing, I've just taken poison. It's not that it's poison. Your body just wasn't, just the switch to metabolize it into energy is missing from your DNA chain. So, but for those people who can metabolize coffee properly, coffee works very well for them. As a matter of fact, coffee is actually advised in nutrition circles to be used as a natural pre-workout supplement. So let's say you want to work out in the morning. Instead of going all, you know, protein shake, if you don't have like a good natural protein shake source, you could do a nice cup of coffee with um, skimmed milk or full fat milk. And, you know, if it gives you energy and fuels your workout, why not? Coffee is not bad. 
Coffee is real food. Real with a capital R. Freeze-dried. Okay, so now we're going there, uh, yeah. So you have to be discerning when you pick your, when you make your coffee choices. The best ones are those ones that, well, don't come in a tin, per se. Just ground coffee beans, yeah. And you'll notice that those ones are not going to last very long. Once you open the bag, everything just, the flavors go out. It just, you know, after about a month, it doesn't taste like coffee anymore. So those are the organic types you want to stick with. Hello. Yes. Thank you very much hey. for your presentation. Real or fake? Mm. Milk. Ah. Uh, there's a variety of milk we find in our markets. It's dried, it's evaporated, it's condensed, it's long life. Long life UHT, powdered milk. What else? Condensed, evaporated. We even find milk that's not milk, that's made of vegetable, that contains some vegetable fat or something in it. So, milk generally, is it fake or real food? Okay, good question. So, milk is real food. As a matter of fact, now we are coming back to the depends thing, like we did with rice. So, depending on how far the process chain, the milk went, you also want to be discerning with your milk. So, when you get to skimmed milk, like, and I'm going to mention brands like Marvel, for instance, skimmed powdered milk, you want to say, okay, look at the label. And once you begin to see ingredients that you can't necessarily pronounce, you know that it's closer to fake food than real. The best milk to drink or to take would be fresh milk that hasn't stared too far from the cow. And full-fat milk. So full-fat milk is less processed than reduced-fat milk. So it's actually better for you because what happens with reduced fat milk is that they take the fat out, which is the natural part of it, and they replace it with chemicals and sugar. So you really want to stick with full fat milk if your body processes milk properly. And not everyone here can drink milk because some of us are lactose intolerant. So if your body doesn't do well with milk, no matter the kind of milk you drink, you're going to have issues. So stay away from milk and look for other protein, and calcium sources. Thank you, York. Um, back to the question on beef. I know typically um, there is a, usually the advice for taking beef is you should do lean beef, mm. right? Now, considering what we have here in Nigeria, all the various options, sometimes you go to the market, you have um, beef with fat, you know, some people say the shaki, the pomo, all this the goat meat and all that. I would like you to expand further on that. What is better than what. Mm. So beef is just general, but, you know, we have then the snail as well. You know, how healthy is that? That's one. Two, my second question to you is, what vegetable oil do you use personally to cook? Um, because thinking about it when you go to the supermarket, all the ranges, I think, on the shelf, definitely from what you've said, is not good for us. Mm. So what do you use as a nutritionist at home? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I use organic coconut oil. Sometimes I have to order like three bottles in advance. So, but hopefully there are more and more people coming into this food space that are able to provide organic coconut oil um, that have been either cold-pressed or pasteurized. But coconut oil is what I use. That's the one. Then the thing with meat. Now back to the basics. Everything you've mentioned, the snail, the beef, they all came from a mother right? 
So they're all part of a cow, all part of an animal. Especially when you go to the market. The ones in the market are actually a lot better for you than the ones maybe like they're in a can, like the reformed ham, those kinds of things. You want to stay away from those because you then see all the exotic ingredients on them. So you want to stick with as close to nature as possible. And if your body can take those protein foods, the red meats, we call them high purine protein. They're heavy for some people. Some people do better with chicken and turkey than with beef or goat. If you're the beef type, any protein in the market will do. Organ meats are fine, to be honest. Your intestines, your tozo, your whatever, all, every part of the cow, just wash it well. Take out all the calcified or the hard fats, wash it properly, obviously boil it and cook it well, and it's, it's fine. Hello, everyone. Okay. Good morning. Morning. My question is about eggs. So, for instance, I know um, one should be on like a calorie diet, well, depending on your weight, so maybe about 1,200 regularly. If for breakfast I decide, okay, I want one boiled egg every day with a slice of toast for that week every morning, is it bad? I know a lot of people would say, oh, you're killing cholesterol in your body, eggs every day isn't a good idea, but then the calorie content of eggs seems to be quite low. So is that a safe option? And then my second question is, so I like beef a lot, particularly suya. How can I manage that? How bad is that? So I'll start with eggs. Eggs are great. Great. You can eat eggs every day. If your body is fine with eggs, okay? The jury is in about eggs, plus the yolk, plus everything inside. It's fine. Some people who don't necessarily like the yolk and want to sort of stick with a low-fat diet will do more egg whites than, than yolks. So, for instance, if you wanted to reduce the fat content in your omelette, you could do maybe three egg whites and one full egg. Or if you're okay with it and you're on a high-fat diet, you can do your four eggs or three eggs complete with the yolk. We have found out that cholesterol from eggs is not necessarily what creates or what causes heart disease. The cause of heart disease is a complicated process between, complicated relationship, I mean, between lack of activity and unstable blood sugar levels. So sugar is the new fat. When you eat too much sugar and you're pre-diabetic and all of that, it starts to cause um, a lot of issues with your arteries so that's really what you want to watch. You want to, you want to watch the sugar in your diet as opposed to cutting out. Because the egg is so nutritious. The calorie content, as you said, is low. You're correct. And it contains all kinds of nutrients and minerals that our bodies can, can use. So keep the eggs. You can have it for breakfast every day. No issues. Um, just make sure that other parts of your diet are a little bit clean. You don't have all the crackers and stuff, the biscuits that you're ingesting that have all those harmful things in it, and you should be fine. Um, the other question is about suya. Now, suya obviously came from a cow. The challenge with suya, the way they make it here, is that it's more or less deep fried. So when you see them, they're soaking it with the, with the vegetable oil. They're soaking it and soaking it and soaking it. So on that note, it's a no-no for me. But as I said earlier, baby steps. So if you were doing... 5K worth of suya, you want to do three. 
and then bring it down to 1.5, and then have 500 naira to you every once in a while. Or you could go to your malam nice and early and ask him to make yours without the oil, and that's okay. Thank you, Uyoka. Very good presentation. When you were talking about coffee and the fact that, you know, you could get some, they might have shakes, I inherited that. So I still drink coffee sometimes. What I tend to do is I went to the chemist or somebody referred me to getting, having more B12 vitamins. But um, I also discovered that you can have cabbage. Cabbage has a lot of B12 in it. What do you think? Do you think that's right? What about taking the vitamins? Do you think it's something that is right? Okay, so you're asking about vitamin supplementation as it relates to B12 and coffee or vitamin supplementation generally? Generally. So first of all, if you're... I mean, our bodies are so intelligently built, right? You don't need... um, I mean, obviously, we go to the doctors to find out what's wrong when it breaks down. But your body will tell you when it doesn't want something. So if your body says it doesn't want coffee, don't force it. Because there's just no point, right? However, if you did have a B12 deficiency, then you want to correct that. Um, Eating cabbage is a way to go consistently. If it's a severe deficiency, you can do supplementation. Supplements are good, um, depending on the, the source. So... General supplementation, multi, you know, drinking a good multi-mineral or vitamin is actually very important, very crucial. The reason being that most of us here are deficient one way or another. We do not get all of our vitamins and minerals through the foods that we eat. Even top-performing athletes, there was a study that showed that 90% of top-performing athletes at some Olympic a few years ago were all deficient in certain key nutrient markers. So, it's important to supplement. Sometimes you're just not feeling, you're like, okay, I'm not really feeling myself today. You don't really know what's wrong. It could be something like an iron deficiency, right? Some ferrous sulfate would would sort you out. Sometimes your cholesterol may be a little bit too high because of something you ate. Long and short, supplementation is important. If you can, do something like Centrum A to Z. Do something like Well Man, Well Woman. It's important to do these things because our foods are, even the foods that have mothers and fathers, have you seen the way we cook? The way we cook our food, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the Nepa situation with the frying. We fry our food to death. But you're cheating yourself because when you then eat this food, there's nothing, your your body is not getting anything. It's, your body is getting a bad deal, a very bad deal. So you've just loaded nonsense and your body hasn't really gotten what it needs. So, scientifically speaking, your body is still hungry, but in your mind, you've eaten. So, you are getting a bad deal with the foods that we eat. So, number one thing I, I would say, if you're going to take anything away from here, would be to supplement. Would be to get a good multivitamin and take it every day or every other day if you can. Uyo, you um, mentioned that um, sugar is the new fat. Uh, but in West Africa, or in Africa as it were, our diet is based on a lot of carbohydrates, rice, yam, cassava, you know, eba, and all that. Uh, but what we don't realize is that all that breaks down into sugar. So in, in trying to discuss um, wellness and eating well and all that, can you just speak on, on that, how we uh, portion our carbohydrates with respect to 
protein and all that. Absolutely. Okay. So, totally correct. When you eat your, even our foods that have, that came from a tree, so our starchy vegetables, any form of carbohydrates is eventually going to end up in your body as glycogen. So, the problem with our diet is that not that yam is not that yam is bad per se. For some people, yam would be bad because you're carbohydrate sensitive. So for those kinds of people, you want to take less carbohydrates than the average guy. But the typical West African actually is carbohydrate intolerant, but we just don't know it. Most of us are carb intolerant because the typical West African is built a certain way. We are what we call... Can I go technical now? We are what we call endomorphs. So we store fat in certain places. We are built such that, you know, like our women store fat on their hips, thighs, on their bums, on their buttocks, on their stomachs. The same with the men. So we have those kinds of people. Then we have those lean, lanky guys who never put on weight no matter what they do. You know those kinds of people? I know them. They will eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Nothing. It is painful to watch. Some of us will just look at one meat pie like this. And in the morning, you would have swollen like a corpse. <laughs> the thing is, we are sensitive to these things in our diets. But we, because we, we were born with these things, we feel that we can eat it in whatever quantities. We can't. You have to reduce the quantities of carbohydrates, the refined and starchy ones. Because vegetables are also carbs. So more vegetables, less swallowed. You eat your rice. So if you're going to eat rice, for instance, you want to combine your rice with veggies. And the reason being that carbs, especially the starchy ones, affect our blood sugars a certain way. So when your carbohydrates go into your bloodstream, your blood sugar goes up. That is what is supposed to typically give us energy. Okay? But what happens is that when the body senses that the blood, its blood sugar has spiked, your hormone, there's a hormone called insulin. Insulin hears the message and says, oh my goodness, what's happening? So insulin goes into the blood, right? And starts mopping up all the blood sugar, all the sugar from your blood. Because you see, we're not supposed to be in a state of high blood sugar. But the high blood sugar is induced by eating a big meal of pounded yam. So when that high blood sugar happens, insulin goes in and mops the sugar out. Then what happens? You start feeling sleepy after an hour. That's because now insulin has done such a great job that your blood sugar has dropped. Right? So your blood sugar drops. And if you had something like um, a pie or noodles, you're going to start feeling hungry about two hours after because your blood sugar has dropped. And in, the body's, and in your mind, the body's mind, low blood sugar means hunger. So if the blood sugar is low, I'm hungry, I need to eat. But you're not really hungry. What has happened is your insulin has mopped up the sugar in your blood from the meal that you had before. What most of us do is we go back and eat. And we go back and eat the same thing. Then what happens next? The blood sugar shoots up again. Then insulin is like, ah, ah, ha, goes back again and mops the whole sugar out of your blood. And the blood sugar drops again. And you see, we do this every day. Every day, day in and day out. So we're on this constant cycle of high, low, high, low. And when that happens over a long period, insulin just generally gets tired. 
and all that excess calories, because now you didn't do anything with the first pounded yam, you didn't do anything with the second noodles, you didn't do anything with all that stuff that you ate. You just kept eating because your, your body thought it was hungry. But insulin then gets tired, and you become what we call insulin resistant. So what happens is when the blood sugar goes up, insulin says, you know what, just leave her the heck alone. And insulin doesn't bother coming to mop the sugar from your blood. And that's when a lot of us go into what we call pre-diabetic states, right? So that is why, and then when you get into that pre-diabetic state, it then leads to all kinds of issues. Your arteries starts to get corroded, heart failure, strokes, blocked arteries, all kinds of stuff. A lot of health complications can come from a pre-diabetic state. And that's why they say that sugar is the new fat, because it can be anything from your pounded yam to your cakes, your meat pies, your confectionery, anything that breaks down as sugar in your body will cause you know, that um, up and down effect and eventually that ill health. So what we want to do is to eat something that will not cause such a spike in your blood sugar, right? So when you're eating your pounded, have maybe a handful, and this is just for those who are ready to do this, so I'm not saying... Mrs. Hansen said I should not eat pandemic again. You this woman, you've been killing me in this house. So have a bit of it and have a lot of veg. So if you're eating pounder and vegetable soup, have more vegetable soup than pounded yam. If you're eating rice, combine your rice with vegetables. Because what happens when you combine your rice with vegetables is that the vegetables will help blunten the effect of the rice on your blood sugar, especially white rice. Brown rice will not have such an effect on your blood sugar, but it will have that effect all the same. So you do want to combine your rice with vegetables and combine anything starchy, really, with vegetables because it will help you, it will blunten that effect on your blood sugar. And so you, you don't have, and insulin doesn't have to go, come, go, come, go, come. So the whole idea is to keep your blood sugar stable throughout the day, throughout the week, it helps with the weight maintenance, it helps with weight loss, and it prevents weight gain. Thank you for a very interesting um, you know, talk. What about Gary? Is Gary um, fake or is it... Um, because it comes directly from cassava. Yes. Yeah? yes, it does. So Gary is real. It's a real food. Yeah. You see, the thing with... As a matter of fact, uh, Gary is an amazing food. You see, because of the fermentation process, Gary is actually a great source of probiotics. So it helps you with your gut flora and all of that. So you want to keep Gary in as opposed to having Indomie. As, in fact, drink Gary and keep the Indomie out. It's a better, um, it's, a, it's a good switch. So Gary is a real food. Portion control, guys. Please, as you're clapping, don't forget portion control. Don't get too excited. Good morning. Morning. Thank you very much. Um, I learned a lot from your presentation. I want to ask about people who have to work all through the night, like people who work 24 hours or people who work at midnight. Now, are there healthy options for late night snacks? Thank you. All right. So healthy eating is healthy eating, right? The challenge with people who run those kinds of shifts, midnight shifts, is that 
your body, your cortisol levels begin to go up. So those people are under a lot of stress, even though they don't know it yet, because your body's rhythm, the body's natural rhythm has been distorted. So what happens in situations like that is that your cortisol levels begin to go up. So even if you're active, you find out that you begin to pardon abdominal fat. Now, healthy eating is healthy eating, whether you eat it in the morning, afternoon, or night. The only thing is that um, you want to watch your refined carbohydrate intake. So, for instance, you're not going to be having eba or pounded yam in the night. It's just not going to go anywhere. However, depending on how busy your shift is, so if it's like a hospital shift where you're constantly on your feet, you do want to energize yourself. So, healthy snacks, something that's got a bit of protein, some vegetables, would be good for late-night eating. Chicken, salad, stir-fries, your soup without the swallow. Nothing too heavy because very likely you're going to be eating during the day as well. Is it healthy to be a vegetarian? Oh, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian. The principles we spoke about today are very general principles. As we narrow down in nutrition, you find out that what is good for A may not necessarily be good for B. That is why ketogenic diets are popular. That is why vegetarian diets in the same vein are equally as popular. And that's because depending on your body type, vegetables may be better for you. You may not be a red meat person. You may not be a beef person, but you may be a chicken person. So vegetarian diets are good so long as you choose vegetables that have protein content and have high iron content, and we do have those vegetables. So being a vegetarian is not all bad. You just have to be sure that you're getting your protein intake and supplement with the multivitamin. Um, thank you very much, York. Now, I want to talk about fruit. When you are eating your meal, carbohydrate, for instance, um, there's this saying that you should eat um, your fruit either 30 minutes before you eat um, your main meal, or you should not combine the two. So can you shed more light on it? Because they say it causes flatulence and all kinds of things, yeah. indigestion mm -hmm. and all that. Okay. And then another question I have is that of milk. Um, there's a saying now that um, milk from cow is not good for the adult human. Can you expand on that? And what are the alternatives as you grow older? Okay. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, so first one, eating fruit on an empty stomach. Once again, it depends. You know, there are some of these things I receive, right? Somebody goes to this website, copies something, paste it, forward, paste, forward, paste, forward, post it, seven people will bless you, post it, post it, post it, post it. Then it becomes law without really tracing the origin. Eating fruits on an empty stomach depends on the individual. Some fruits are acidic, so you don't even want to eat them on an empty stomach. If, however, you find that after eating fruits, on a full stomach, you do have digestive issues. You want to check maybe the order in which you've had the food or the fruits or what you ate initially before eating the fruits. Because truthfully, if you had an apple after a heavy meal, your food will digest pretty quickly. I don't know if anyone has had that experience. Sometimes you eat and then you have fruits afterwards and you find out that it helps you move your bowels very easily. But some people... It's the exact opposite. So some of these things are not necessarily law. There's no science that says, oh, no, you have to eat fruit in a certain order. Some people will have the same, those same fruits on that empty stomach and have um, reflux. So it depends on how it affects you. So if you try it, stick with what 
works. Second one was with milk. It is true to an extent, and that is because of the way that we've begun to raise cows now. The problem with milk in this century is the same problem we have with um, wheat-based foods, the farming process. Like with wheat-based foods, they spray it with this chemical that helps preserve it for longer. So even when you get your wheat, you find that it's loaded already with toxins. So when you drink milk, ideally, if you're going to drink cow's milk, you want to drink milk that is from a grass-fed cow and not a cow that has been fed with antibiotics and all kinds of toxic stuff. But, you know, that's topic for another day. With milk also, you want to check if you're lactose intolerant. Some people are just lactose intolerant and they don't do well with milk. So if you don't do well with, with milk, cut the milk out. However, between good and bad, full-fat milk is better than low-fat milk because with low-fat milk, the natural parts of it have been taken out, which is the good fats, really, and it has been replaced with sugar and all sorts of chemicals. So you really want to stay away from all that zero-fat, skimmed milk, rara, and keep the milk as close to natural source as possible. Thank you. What type of food should somebody who has a high cholesterol level eat or avoid? All right, so with high cholesterol, there are a number of issues that have happened there. Number one, you have blood sugar issues. So back in the day, it was thought that cholesterol-laden foods like seafood, eggs, and so on, and beef were the source of heart problems. But we found out that that is not necessarily the case. One of the major sources of heart problems is, is a diet that's high in sugar. So what happens when you have a diet high in sugar is that you begin to, have, you begin to get to a pre-diabetic state. So I'll give you an analogy. When you eat your, and everything, when I say sugar, I'm not talking about just refined sugar or sugar that's in your tea. I'm talking about starchy carbohydrates. All those carbohydrates that we eat, like the gari and the pounderdiam and all of that, all of that translates to glycogen in our systems. So on some level, really, the body doesn't differentiate between your cake and your gari in terms of how it breaks down in the body. Of course, there's more toxins in one than the other, so that's the real difference. So when you eat a lot of refined, starchy carbohydrates, it breaks down as glycogen in your body. What happens is that your blood sugar spikes really quickly. So there's a sharp spike in your blood sugar. And when that happens, your body's hormone insulin has to go into the blood to mop the sugar out of the blood. And that is because you, we're really not supposed to be in a state of high blood sugar. So insulin senses that there's a problem and goes in there and starts mopping the blood out. So if you're in great health and insulin does a very good job, what's going to happen is once insulin mops up all that sugar, your blood sugar is going to crash. And what happens when your blood sugar crashes? You feel sleepy. Like maybe, you know that feeling after you've had a good meal of swallow, the next thing is to just look for one corner and, and relax. That's because at that point, your blood sugar has nosedived. All right? The next thing that happens is when your blood sugar drops, your body senses that it's time to eat again. So you want to eat again because that's how your body signals hunger. So if you had something light like crackers or biscuits or a Coke, 
it's time to eat again. So you go back and eat. And when you go back and eat, typically what happens is you go back and eat the same thing. And that same thing is going to happen again. Your blood sugar is going to spike. Then insulin goes, ah, ah, what is going on? And rushes back in there to start mopping that blood sugar all over again. And so this is going to go on like that, like that, like that, like that. And what happens when insulin is back and forth is that it begins to break down the walls of the arteries in your system. It begins to create inflammatory conditions around your heart muscles. That is where we start to have cholesterol issues. That is where we start to see strokes. Uh, we start to see heart attacks and all that. So with cholesterol issues or low cholesterol diets, is not the eggs or the seafood. It's really a high sugar diet that you want to look at. You can take out all your beef and still have a heart attack because your sugar is still causing issues. For someone with high cholesterol issues, you want to look at your refined starchy carbohydrates. You want to eat foods that are as close to nature as possible, number one. So lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, even though fruits do convert to sugar, but they're still good sugars. You want to eat those in limited quantities, actually. And you want to do a lot of leafy green vegetables. Your efor, your ugu, your shoko leaf, your afang, ikong, your soups, our Nigerian soups. Watch the oil, of course. Eat those. And then when you eat your swallow, limit the portion size because you don't want to impact your blood sugar too much. And when you eat stuff like rice, if you're having cholesterol issues, you want to combine your rice with vegetables so that you can blunten the impact that that rice is going to have on your blood sugar. And that's the key to longevity with high cholesterol. All right, guys, you've been a wonderful audience. If you have any more questions, register for the food fair. And, oh yeah, we've got this overweight to figure a challenge that we're starting on the 1st of April. So registration is open. It's just 5K to join. At the end of that challenge, it's, um, it's eight weeks long. So if you've been struggling with your figure eight goals, and I know I said figure eight, but men can join as well. <laughs> so if you're struggling with your figure eight goals, join the challenge. It's two, month, two months long. You get to ask me every question you possibly can. Get your meal plans, your nutrition guide. And at the end of the challenge, winner takes all. You win a cash prize and some sponsor prizes. We've got some great sponsors on that challenge at the gym. And um, you get group coaching. So you join a group and we coach you remotely um, to achieve your figure eight goals. Thank you very much, guys. You've been a wonderful audience.